Welcome once again to the Brentwood Baptist Life Group Leaders Podcast. We're here to talk about Matthew 10, 1 through 15, of the sermon titled Living on Mission with Jesus. I'm Paul Wilkinson, Adult Minister Groups Associate at the Brentwood Campus, and I'm here with Armin Oganesian, interning with adult groups. Tell them, Armin, where do you work? What do you do? How'd you find your way here? Yeah, uh, I work at Tennessee State University. Uh, I teach philosophy and religion there. Uh, I was uh, looking for a church, came to came to Brentwood and felt really welcomed. And uh, somebody introduced me to Paul and Paul and I just got to chatting and I guess the rest is history. Now I'm working for him. Yeah, it came through Kairos, philosopher. So he found his way to me and he's been a real blessing in our adult groups ministry, doing a lot of teaching. Uh, on all levels and just learning a ton about the faith, about his calling. So encourage him, request him, beat him up for info. You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. All right, we're following up on last week, Matthew 9, 35, pray for workers to be sent into the harvest because obviously the harvest is abundant. There's people to be reaped, as it were, and we need more leaders, more teachers, more disciplers out there reaping. Today, we move into 10 with the actual sending out of the disciples uh, any any first thoughts any i don't know major first inclinations when you read this armin uh not really it's it seems kind of straightforward you know christ sends them out um i mean there's some peculiarities that when you first read you're like what don't go to gentiles uh don't take anything with you uh you're gonna cleanse lepers uh but the actual sending it's pretty straightforward of go to the house of Israel. Yeah, so some pretty crazy things are happening, some pretty radical stuff. Nevertheless, it is pretty basic. Just go do these things. And they're representative of the kingdom of God that has been inaugurated. So your PhD was in systematics, as they yeah. call it across the pond. We would just say theology, systematic theology. Uh, how do you think about, and in all your reading and studying, how do you think about the kingdom of God that's apparently been inaugurated, Yeah, and yet... This can't be fully it. Yeah. Um, so I think the Old Testament promised an individual uh, who will come from David's branch. That individual would uh, bring forward a kingdom where Yahweh would reign. And then other times that individual seemed to be Yahweh himself, God himself. Uh, some ambiguities there. But then when you see the person of Christ, you see how that is all connected you see that uh, that is the, the branch of David is Christ and Christ is Yahweh himself. So you see those two lines connected and Christ has inaugurated the kingdom. But the full fulfillment will come in the second coming. So we're living in a time where, yes, we're living in the kingdom of Christ, but not yet in this completion. So already, but not yet. Yeah, the old already, not yet. And why not yet, do you think? Because Christ wants people to be saved. Yeah, I think, yeah, Peter, does, why does Christ delay? Delays for our benefit. Yeah. Expanding the kingdom, more brothers and sisters yeah. uh, coming into the family with us in the kingdom of God. I don't think it is the case 
that most of, and I'll just speak for the Brentwood campus, um, and you all at the other campuses, you'll have to make your own diagnosis, but I don't think it's the case that most of our people wake up Monday morning after Sunday services and understand themselves as a kingdom citizen. Mm, yeah. That they yeah. are, they are a living expression and a walking testimony to the literal kingdom of God in the eternity for which we're promised. I don't think that's a common thought. Yeah, um, I'm with you, Paul. And to think of yourself as an ambassador of Christ, uh, you have this great high king who is Christ, and, um, and you're you're going towards something. You know, that's a powerful thing to realize. I am moving towards something. I'm not just waking up and it's Monday and I'm just doing the mundane Monday stuff and it's Tuesday. I'm looking forward to Friday. These days, these years, this life is moving towards a goal and that is to bring honor and glory to Christ in his inaugurated kingdom and then see that fruit in the kingdom that's not yet. So last week we talked about is your teaching, is your leading and shepherding driving people out of your group? to make disciples because that was that word there the send out um in, in the text from last week matthew 9 35 through 38 was drive them out so as you're teaching doing that this week uh, i'll ask that same concept in a different way is your teaching driving people to understand themselves as a kingdom people do they understand themselves as citizens of that kingdom i'm reading a book it's an oldie but a goodie uh written by professor edge finley edge just a giant um, in the history of Sunday school and Christian education. And he talks about the two dangers for the teacher. The first is that we get mere verbalizing of the text. The second one is that we get mere emotions, emotions without truth. And so I think the last one's obvious is that we, our people are going through life, having a bunch of experiences, chalking them up to God, but not ever grounding them in the truth and the authority of the scriptures. So, in the, yeah. I mean, what makes Satan Satan is that he counterfeits Christ so well, yeah. <laughs> counterfeits God so well. But I want to talk about this first one, because I think this is more the dilemma in our groups. Here's, here's what uh, Dr. Edge says. Learners memorize verses of scripture, doctrinal affirmations, and religious vocabulary. That's the problem. Year after year, learners come to Sunday school. They learn the words that describe religious experiences, and they tend to identify this with having had the experiences. Jesus pointed out this same problem. The Pharisees verbalized the teachings of the prophets without learning the spirit of those teachings in their own experience. How much this is happening in our Sunday schools today. Learning words that describe a religious experience is not the same as having the religious experience. So we have been elevating, believing, following Jesus, being changed by Jesus. Now we're talking about living on mission. And if we're not getting the experiential development of living on mission with our Savior in charity, evangelism, yeah. disciple-making, and the rest, then we're falling short. Our teaching's not doing what it ought to do. Yeah, yeah. I think just going off what you're saying, Paul, again, if you're thinking with the end goal in mind, you're not just trying to make mini Pauls unless they're, you mean by many Christians, or you're not just trying to get people... It means the apostle, not not me. Yeah. You're not just trying to get many uh, or get people to be able to articulate a sentence, right? You're trying to make people worship Christ. You're trying to make worshipers of Jesus Christ. That's what we're trying to do. We're not, yeah. And we get, we get 
we fall into a trap where, all right, this guy just said, I believe in Jesus Christ. He's good to go. I'm ready. I'm rolling now. I can, I can go home and put a notch in my belt. I got one other one. But that's not – I'm not doing that. That's not what I'm doing. And we'll talk about that later where I'm not the one who saves these individuals. Christ is. What I'm trying to focus on is, is this individual worshiping? And we're, to, and we're to be making much out of the name of Christ in all of our life, not just when we gather together corporately and sing, yeah. uh, but we ought to be uh, living that life out everywhere we go. So our teaching must go beyond helping our people merely parrot would be the commonplace yeah, term yeah, for verbalizing. Mm-hmm. We want our people to do more than just parrot us. We want them to live in obedience. Remember the Great Commission. Teach them to obey. If our teaching isn't resulting in obedience, I mean, that's the fruit, then, um, you know, we need to adjust what we're doing. It's strange, these commands, Armin, I think here, don't take this, don't take that, um, you know, knock your feet off and drop dust in people's homes, etc. cetera. Uh, what do you make of these, or well, I guess what warnings or guidelines would you put around some of these prohibitions? Yeah, uh, I don't think our Lord is giving us uh, a list or a uh, step-by-step instruction here, but he's demonstrating a principle. Uh, and that principle is to live in such a way that you live unencumbered so you can share the gospel. So you have room, you're unencumbered by things and responsibilities and all that to the point where if I need to be discipling someone, I can enter into that relationship. Or if I want to share the gospel, I have time to share the gospel. Um, it's not, oh, if you take a knapsack, uh, you're not actually following Christ. But if you do, if you do schedule every minute of your day where you don't have any time to share Christ with people because you're going from one meeting to another or, you know, you got all these after-school activities and you have all these things to do. That is not living on mission. That's living on earth. Yeah. And on Monday when we gather all the preachers together, every one of them that comes with a backpack, I'm going to rebuke them this week <laughs> uh, for being less than Christ-like in their, in their witness. I think the term unencumbered and what you said there at the end, the busyness of life, is such a powerful attack that Satan levies against our people here in Middle Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah, Paul, Paul, I, how do you practically do it? Well, I, I like to challenge groups as I'm teaching them, and oftentimes this is how I end, particularly when I'm teaching on disciple-making proper, is I always ask, if the Lord were to answer your prayer to have disciples, so one, I'm critiquing them because my guess is they're not praying yeah. to have someone to disciple, yeah. so I smuggle that one in. But if God were to answer your prayer and send you two young men, two young women to disciple, would you have space in your life to do it? Would you have space to do it? And the answer, unfortunately, usually is no. So for me, it's just about prioritizing. Um, sometimes it means the work that I would like to do gets pushed back. I, mean, I still haven't finished the book I'm working on yet on philosophical theology. It gets pushed to the evenings. It gets pushed to the wee hours of the morning. It gets pushed to things here or there. It means when I would like to take a pure day off on Friday, that maybe I can't because yeah. I've blown my Tuesday afternoon uh, that's a bad way to say it yeah. because I've invested my Tuesday afternoon yeah. into discipling someone and I didn't get my administrative work done here in the office. Oh, oh well, the disciple making takes priority over all else. So I think it's a decision we have to make for ourselves 
And when I when I say make that decision, I mean submit yourself to how the spirit might move and who the spirit may bring into your life. And then it's just praying for the power and the discernment of when and how to do that. Yeah, and that's for everyone, right? I mean, we don't just oh, I. Give- I'll also add that I just try to get rid of stuff like. <laughs> Don't have cable anymore and try not to play as many video games as I used to and just simplifying life a little bit to make space. It's amazing how much time you waste on Netflix or social media or – and we think, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. But if we actually did like an inventory of what we're spending on time, I've spent four hours this week on social media. It's like, well, you can be investing that in something that has eternal value. That's right. And not that the two are necessarily opposed, but yeah. are we are we leveraging our social media time for kingdom advance and disciple making? Some do, some don't. It's a question of your calling and, and how that looks like in your daily rhythms of your life. Yeah, but everyone is called to make disciples. Everyone is. So you can't think to yourself, oh, that's not my gifting. Um, you might not be as good as it, at it as Billy Graham, but the Lord has still called you to it and the Lord will still bless you as you do it. I find it a little off-putting that he says, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans. And remember, the Samaritans were the half-Jews. So he says, skip over them and go to the lost sheep of Israel. That doesn't seem, that doesn't seem fair. Yeah, yeah. How do you answer that? Yeah, I think if we go back to um, chronology and time, uh, it's clear post our Lord's resurrection that the Gentiles are a major focus. So, I mean, all, almost all of the book of the Acts is to the ends of the world. I got to read the rest of the Bible to understand yeah. this. Come on. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately you do. Here, because the Lord is still with us, he's still focused on preparing people to understand his Messiahship. And those people who are best positioned to understand his Messiahship are Israelites. And this church understands Acts 1-8 really well because it's been... Uh, hammered over the past decade acts 1 8 but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem in all judea and samaria and to the end of the earth so it does begin in jerusalem but then it goes out so what you're saying is that these jews had the historical the old testament authoritative context for recognizing and following Messiah. Yeah, if you went up to a Roman and said, hey, Messiah is here, he's going to be like, what? What are you talking about? Um, but at post-resurrection, you can see there was this man who came and lived, died, and is now resurrected, and he's calling you to follow him. That has that has umph, right? But if I just go up to a Roman and go, he goes, I'm not Jew. What are you talking about? My king Caesar. Yeah, and Caesar's the one that can kill me, not your uh, Messiah that I don't know anything about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's good. So it's not a question of Gentiles never. Yeah. It's a question of the progression of God's revelation yes. of himself for the sake of reconciling all of creation to himself, yeah. uh, ultimately. Just as a hermeneutical, like, hint or helpfulness, oftentimes... What does hermeneutic mean? Oh, the science of reading. Just when you're thinking, a lot of times, on its face, uh, problems or inconsistencies in the scripture can be uh, ironed away when you realize chronology. So sometimes Paul goes, oh, Timothy, Timothy should not, I didn't even have Titus or Timothy get circumcised. And then later on you see, oh, Titus and Timothy, he, he commanded them to get circumcised. Why? Because Jerusalem, the Council of Jerusalem has happened, and now that debate's over, and he's trying to be all men to all people. 
And that includes being circumcised so you can take the gospel to Jesus. So understanding the chronology of the scriptures will help you iron out all those apparent inconsistencies. And a lot of them can be explained with chronology and audience. Yeah. Who's he talking to? Maybe it doesn't apply to, to someone else. All right. Here's my other trouble spot. So one, Jesus seems very unfair in not giving the gospel to the Gentiles. He looks like he doesn't want people saved. So maybe you've solved that well enough for me. So here's my second issue is that uh, Jesus says, find out who is worthy in the town. And whoever is not worthy, um, you know, knock the dust off of your feet, uh, sort of as a testimony against them. I thought we in the church just took everybody. What is this look for worthy people stuff? Yeah, I think a simple practicality is there where I go up to someone, I share the gospel with them, and they're like, you're a moron, dude. Keep walking. You know, that... I'm not going to keep going up to that person. And I mean, I will share in my lifestyle with that person as I interact with them, but I'm not going to just, you know, make him my home base of evangelism. I'm going to go to the individuals who seem receptive uh, to the gospel. And Yeah, so I asked a very prominent disciple maker who's published a lot in the field and is, is well respected. Uh, I asked him, what would you, what have you learned essentially over the years and what would you do different? speaking to your younger self. And he said, I would choose more carefully who I invested into disciple. Not because some people are unworthy of being discipled. We want everybody to be discipled, but because some people are unwelcoming and hardened against it. They don't want it. You can't disciple somebody who doesn't, who doesn't want it. And I think Jesus gives us a good model here. So I'm in Luke now, Luke six in verse 12, Luke six in verse 12. During those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples. Now, that's a huge crowd, multitudes. He summoned multitudes. So when daylight came, he summoned his disciples, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Simon, it goes on to to list all the names. But Jesus didn't, he, he availed himself of everyone, but he chose 12 to walk with intimately. And then chose three out of those to walk with um, even more intimately, Peter, James, and John, sometimes Andrew. So discipleship is much more of a precision lifestyle than I think some give it credit for. And I think that's where we sometimes got to be careful is I don't know that we're called just to shotgun it. We're called to, like Jesus, retreat and pray over who I am to disciple. And then out of the multitude, so for Jesus, he had multitudes following him. Maybe you don't. Have multitudes following you around to hear you teach. But I'll tell you what you do have. You have people in the daily rhythms of your life that show up over and over and over again. And the question is, are you praying about who you ought to call out? And what I would say is invite into your life. So some people like to use the language people of peace or person of peace. That's a little bit biblical. Uh, Welcoming is a very good term that I think is uh, simple. Jason Dukes our multiplication minister for the Brentwood Baptist Church uses that term a lot, and I think it's very helpful. As we are seeking to disciple, are there people in our natural daily walks of life who are welcoming to our message? That if I were to invite them into my life, they're they're welcome and open to it. Uh, That's who we're called to disciple. Yeah, I guess it goes back to... You don't have to get in everybody because you can't. Yeah, exactly. And it goes back to our responsibility as believers is to share with individuals and not to save them, that Christ will do that. The Spirit will do that. Um, and if I'm sharing with an individual and he seems receptive, now I have a responsibility to keep sharing with him and, and letting him enter into my life. I do not have the responsibility 
and our Lord images this, just constantly talk to an individual who's not only not receptive, but sometimes even rude or mean or unkind and unwelcoming, and who is simply unworthy of the message I'm bringing. So unless there's a direct check on your conscience per the Holy Spirit, uh, that's not that's not your calling. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what would you say to some smart aleck in your group that says, Jesus is talking about all this, no, 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 no bread, no money, no staff, sandals, whatever. But then in Luke 22, he says the opposite. He says, if you if you don't have swords, go get some, and you, you need to take your money back, and so forth. Uh, that seems contradictory. Yeah. I, I think, again, timeline, right? Christ is with them at this time. He's sending them out to say the Messiah is here. Soon he's not going to be with them, and there's going to be spiritual warfare. Um, so just timeline of where you are in the story of Christ's life explains that away. Christ is with them. He's saying, hey, or not with them. He's sending them out, but he's earthly present, saying go and share. He's going to be in the heavens soon, not going to be with them. I think them. that earthly present is a good word because my follow-up question was going to be the Great Commission. I promise to be with you till the end of the age. Yeah. So hopefully Christ is still with us. Yeah. So so what He's what does that mean? Yeah. yeah, and I think it's almost like it's almost like there's one really really big kid and then a bunch of smaller kids around him. And so if you were to play dodgeball, the big kid takes most of the licks, most mm-hmm. of the hits. And I think that's who Christ was for his disciples, yeah. apostles yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, is that he took the the brunt of everything for them. And then you see how they all died, how they all suffered when he was gone. You see Paul, I mean, I'm working through First Thessalonians right now, and you see how Paul, the Thessalonian uh, Jews, and even some of the um, Greek citizens there just ran him out of town. Yeah. And then he goes over to Berea, and he starts gaining some traction, a bunch of welcoming people, and he yeah. invests in them with the gospel. And then the Thessalonian people come to that town and chase them out. Yeah. Uh, so you see Jesus isn't here to absorb all the blows for us anymore. Uh, so he's still with us, and he's still working and going ahead of us and working in people's lives and minds as we come yeah. to do the disciple-making. But he's not there to absorb the blow in the same sense as he was when he was in his earthly body here. Yeah. Notice the here. Earthly body doesn't change. Earthly body here. What do we do about the healings and the demons and all that stuff that seems so strange to the modern? I use that term modern intentionally from European Enlightenment. All that stuff that seems so weird to the modern ear. Yeah, I think um, everything the scriptures teach is true. So it is clear in the scriptures that there are demons. Um, and we live in a world that's there's supernatural elements. And that's the world we live in. It, it is a worldview to think that there is no supernatural elements. That's not something you can prove or not prove. So it's just we are all taught that in elementary school and and I would argue that most of our people, and even I myself, are oftentimes functionally naturalists. Yeah. I don't think about the supernatural maybe as much as I read it in the Bible. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in the modern world, we're taught that the world is like a box or it's a working mechanism. Brand machine. A machine that works perfectly um, and everything runs perfectly in it and everything happens. Uh, the scriptures view the world differently. Yes, the Lord has given us rhythms. The sun comes up and the sun goes down and all that. And, the, you know, we're one planet of nine and all that. Uh, but eight. Is eight, Pluto yeah, back? Is Pluto yeah. back? No, Pluto's know. gone. Uh, but so it's also clear that God 
interacts with this world on a personal, in a personal way. Um, so the supernatural interacts with the natural in a personal way, both good and evil. We don't see that as much in our community because I think perhaps Satan's realized, you know what? Let them be naturalists. Why would I, why would I take that away? Yeah, Satan's already killed it in, in some yeah. ways. Now, I do think that's an indictment. I think a lot of us, well, let's say it this way. I've heard the statement in some of my apologetic encounters that if I just saw somebody miraculously healed or resurrected, I would believe. And I, I used to be thrown by that a little bit. And now my response is usually twofold. One, even people in Jesus' day didn't believe. So what would make you any different than them? And two, I believe the scriptures are clear. Ezekiel 18, um, 2 Timothy and 1 Peter, that God desires all to be saved. He desires none to perish. Yeah. Turn and repent is the constant call. So our Lord is in the business of saving people, yeah. of creating new kingdom citizens and children for the kingdom. So I truly believe that if healings would get more people saved here, then we'd see more more healings here. Yeah. In many ways, I think it's an indictment against our culture that we're so hard-hearted and so stiff-necked yeah. that even if we were to be in the presence of miraculous healings and revival, yeah. I don't know that we'd care. And that's frightening. Yeah, that is frightening. So it's a constant battle. It's a constant battle. Um we've elevated three things in particular that were on our minds as we wrestled with this text. Um, in addition to the contradiction stuff, the hermeneutics and so forth. And, uh, one is that we have to teach supernaturally yeah. as Bible teachers. We have to be about the business of inculcating and yeah. forming a supernatural worldview and mindset into our people. Our whole faith rests on a miracle, yeah. namely that the father raised the son, and so we can't exactly. just check that at the door as if it's um, inaccessible now or, or impossible now. Mm. Now, we don't command it, I, I don't think. Yeah. Um, that's where maybe a, a few brothers <laughs> a few brothers in the faith of mine might come back and rebuke me. But, man, I, I don't think we get to pick and choose them. But I think we need to definitely be open to them and maybe even expecting of them for the yeah. Lord to work in that way. Yeah, and if you don't believe in supernaturals, when somebody in a small group is ill, why would you ask Christ to heal yeah, what are we praying for? Yeah. What are we praying for? So one, continue to work on the supernatural mindset that we live it day to day uh, in our lives, that we're different as Christians. Two is that we're kingdom people. So not only are we a supernatural people day to day, but we're a kingdom people day to day with a king who has conquered and is already ruling. Mm -hmm. Go read Revelation 5 every so often. This is every so often. Mix it in with your gospel reading. Read Revelation 5 and remember that's who you follow. Yeah. And then lastly, on the personal, purely practical, unencumber your life. Look at your life and say, if God answered my prayer to give me two young men, young women, whomever to disciple, could I do it? Do I have the margin in my life for it? If not, then why would you expect your people to do it? You, you, we got to model this stuff. We got to be about the business of making disciples. Yeah. Yeah. I think that last point really hits home, really hits home with me. And there have been times in my life where even studying theological things i was like oh i simply would not have time to share with this person it's just we are here for a limited time and it's that limited time on earth that we get to glorify christ and he has told us one of the best ways to do that is share who i am with other people and if your life is encumbered by things that simply don't matter 
which yeah, could well, be I'll, good. I'll give you a terrible one. Yeah. Is that I, I taught a class at eight o'clock here at the Brentwood campus. Uh, a guy follows me out into the hallway afterwards, and he essentially says, "I'm a paraphrase, but it's really close to this." He's like, "I don't know fully what you were talking about, but I want to be a part of it, whatever it is." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, I appreciate that. I got the guy's name. I wrote it down in my notebook that I carry in my pocket. I assumed he was a member here. He wasn't. He's an atheist. I didn't know that, but I, I was off to my next thing at nine. You know, I'm, I'm knocking out the the checks that I got to do on Sunday morning." As I'm taking care of these adult groups, and I just assume I'll look this guy up in the database, and I'll chase him down. Well, I did find him, but his health has continued to diminish. There's some um, spiritual influences in his life that are keeping me at bay for sharing with him. And so instead of just grabbing him and just sitting down for 15 minutes before the service, and I don't even remember what I did that morning. I don't know where I ran off to. Yeah. I had something pressing. I had something pressing. Yeah. And I had a guy just wide open to, to what I was teaching, and I... I, I can't get back to him now, yeah. uh, despite my efforts. So even the good things in our life, taking care of Sunday morning groups and um, the, the, a major discipleship initiative of our church encumbered me yeah. away from being discipling that man. Um, it's, yeah, I think about it too much. And it <laughs> includes ordering your household life in such a way where if you're late from work, everyone in the household understands, oh, I had a gospel conversation. And that's why we are having dinner 20 minutes late. And everyone, that's a priority for everyone in the household. You celebrate it. And you celebrate, oh, I'm happily hungry for 20 minutes for that. And the husband and husband and wife demonstrate that for the children. A priority in this household is Christ's kingdom that comes first. Everything else comes after. Uh, and once you've created that priority in the household, that helps free not just you, but your whole family to have gospel conversations and kingdom conversations. Um, I think that's just important, you know? So what's living on mission look like? What does it look like for you personally, uh, clearing out your life like Armin's articulating? What does it look like for your life group? What's, what's stopping your life group from being on the disciple-making path more frequently? What's stopping your, your life group, you and your family, from doing more service and inviting the lost and searching along with you as you serve? pray for ways to continue to live on mission we as a church family have decided to do it largely through the middle tennessee initiative and that has largely manifested itself in our five-year vision Ten thousand disciples making disciples relationships five hundred thousand gospel conversations 100 healthy congregations where do you fit where does the life group fit who are you called to disciple